This is Guns and Butter. People paint these conspiracies about the JFK assassination that are remarkably complex, and it's like you have you have all sorts of people tripping over one another plotting to kill JFK. I don't think that was I don't think that was a big conspiracy at all. I keep saying this because I, I really think it's very simple and yet very profound. The people were who, who were involved in the conspiracy, they weren't one big happy family, they were one small happy family. And as I document in the book. It really took only a handful of people to set the conspiracy in motion. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. Today on Guns and Butter, the late Michael Collins Piper. Today's show, the missing link in the JFK assassination. Michael Collins Piper was a prolific author, researcher, and journalist. He wrote articles for the American Free Press since its inception in 2001. Prior to that, he wrote for the Spotlight for over 20 years. From the biographical summary from the sixth edition of his most well-known book, Final Judgment, published in 2015, quote, 20 years before the major media discovered the neoconservative cabal that pushed America into the Iraq war, Piper was reporting on their intrigues. In 2004, in the High Priests of War, he assembled a fascinating overview of their insidious record, the first book ever published on the subject. In his provocative 2005 work, The New Jerusalem, Piper confronted the controversial issue of Zionist power in America, a detailed exposition unlike any ever assembled by a modern author." End quote. The following is a presentation on his most well-known book, Final Judgment, the missing link in the JFK assassination conspiracy that was given after the publication of the third edition and was posted on the internet in 2012. Michael Collins Piper. Now, how many here have actually read Final Judgment? Okay. Uh, how many here have uh, seen the movie JFK? Okay, that's a good starting point. I always, anytime I start off talking about the book, I, I like to get a handle on what people know about Kennedy assassination, because uh, like I was telling somebody earlier today, I'm not a Kennedy assassination buff. I never have been. Uh, if anything, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm a man ahead of my time. When I was in college, I won a book collection, book collector's contest with my books about the sinking of the Titanic. And if I'd have been smart, I would have figured out a way to make millions of dollars on it, like making a movie about it that's now the hit thing for all time. So unfortunately, I have areas of interest like that. I'm not, I'm not uh, one of these uh, JFK enthusiasts or anything like that. I read all, virtually all the mainstream books in the subject. You know, I never had any real strong views about it one way or another. So, so you can't paint me in that corner. Now, you can, I suppose, paint me in the corner of being a quote-unquote right-wing lunatic or right-wing nut because I work for the spotlight. <laughs> but there's a little bit of a problem there. Because of the fact that I do work for the spotlight, I have a certain independence in writing about the JFK assassination that a lot of people don't have because the spotlight has already been so thoroughly targeted and smeared it's anti-Semitic, it's Holocaust denial, all this and that. We've all heard it. You, you know all the stories. So 
anything I write is automatically suspect anyway. So I really am probably one of the few people in the country who could, if in fact the Israeli Mossad did kill John F. Kennedy, as I believe they did, or they played a part in the conspiracy, I should say, I'm probably the only person in the country who has the luxury of being able to write a book on the subject and then still get up in the morning and go to my job and know that I won't be fired for writing the book. So uh, there's a lot of other people who have looked into the JFK assassination who know precisely what I have talked about in the book. They know it's true, but they won't touch it with a 10-foot pole because these people don't work for an independent newspaper like the Spotlight. Some of these people, you know, one guy, is a, uh, he was a uh, college professor down in Texas. There's a couple people who are, who are newspaper men or they're, you know, computer analysts or something. They work for organizations and companies that if they wrote a book and they told everything they knew, their company would get a phone call from, dare I say it, the Anti-Defamation League of B'nai B'rith, and the ADL would say, you know, one of your employees is saying that the Mossad was involved in the Kennedy assassination, and your customers wouldn't like that. So you see, there's where my independence comes in. I have the luxury of being able to say this. Am I right? I don't know. I could be wrong, but... The bottom line of it, I don't think that I am, frankly, but the bottom line of it is all the information that I have put together in the perception of those who have read the book, and, and that includes people who have read all the other books in the subject, the most common response that I get is they, they say, I've read all the other books in the subject. Yours is the only one that ties it all together. And, you know, on the back of the book, there's some, some advertising copy, some promotional copy of the third edition. It says, once you've read this book, you'll never look at the JFK assassination in the same way again. And that's my personal guarantee to anybody who does read the book. Now, you know, I put a lot of interesting things here together. Because I, I normally don't speak with notes. But, you know, I've been subjected to so much abuse by the Anti-Defamation League and the Israeli lobby for things that I have said and for things that I haven't said, that I thought I'd take an opportunity to speak before this audience about some of the things that they're just doing in general that I don't like. And, and it's because of the fact that I don't like what they're doing that I decided that I was going to come out here to California. Because if I want, I've reached more people, you know, people who read my book. They've read the book, they either like it or they don't. The people who don't like it, are not able to come back at me and say what's, what's wrong with it. All they say is, oh, it's awful. He's a Holocaust denier. Well, I told somebody the other day, I told the Los Angeles Times this, in fact, you know, first of all, my book is not about the Holocaust. Even if it was about the Holocaust, I, I mean, even, even if I did deny the Holocaust, what my views are on the Holocaust are or are not have absolutely nothing to do with my book. And this guy from the Los Angeles Times says to me, he says, well, what, what are your views on the Holocaust? You know what I told him? I really don't care about the Holocaust. It's boring. Enough already. It happened 15 years before I was born. My father and three of his brothers were in the U.S. military, which means they were involved in Holocaust rescue activities. So I don't feel guilty about the Holocaust. I wrote a book about the JFK assassination, so let's talk about it.
And you know they really don't like me to talk that way. <laughs> because at the very least, they want me to argue with them and say, well, you know, there were no Jews gassed here, or, you know, there were five million who died, not six million. I'm not going to get into that debate because I'm not a scholar on the subject. There's anybody want, anybody wants to know about the Holocaust, I can give them some very good sources on both sides, and they can read it for themselves. I wrote about the JFK assassination. So what do I do when Steve, poor old Steve Frog invites me down to Orange County? They don't say his book is wrong. They say, no, he's a Holocaust denier. Now, why do, they, why do they change the focus? They obviously change the focus for a reason, because they don't want people to look at that book. And I think it's hilarious. The very week that this happened, when they, when they kicked up such a fuss, that was Banned Books Week, sponsored by the National Library Association. Now, I kind of find some irony there. I don't know if the ADL does. I don't think they do. Uh, I, I don't credit the ADL with thinking like, like, like normal human beings, because the people who constitute that organization, it is a criminal organization. They're not, they're not like we are. They're not like anybody else, for that matter. But like I say, I, I obviously have said some things that they don't like. And it must be on point. But now here's what's really interesting. I'm going to read you a quote from the ADL. Now, they have attacked final judgment, as you all know. But what was very interesting, what was very, very interesting was that when this eruption broke out down in Orange County, they had to adopt a new position on the JFK assassination. The ADL was saying, oh, well, there are a lot of responsible conspiracy theorists. This is the first time I ever heard the ADL say that conspiracy theories were responsible. They actually said that, well, there are a lot of mainstream conspiracy theorists who could have been invited rather than Mr. Piper. That's what they said to the public, okay? In other words, well, Mr. Piper's not mainstream, but some conspiracy theorists are, so don't invite him. Well, here is what Abe Foxman, the head of the ADL, said uh, several years ago before he knew I was going to be invited to Orange County. This is very interesting. If segments of the population are really willing to believe that President Kennedy was killed by the military-industrial complex because he was too soft on communism, or that a secret group of Bavarian Freemasons has controlled the secular left for more than 200 years, then it is not hard to imagine some of these same people falling for the lies of Bradley Smith, I think a lot of you know who Bradley Smith is, or the fabrications of Louis Farrakhan and Leonard Jeffries. All of these conspiracy theories share the core feature that the quote-unquote research, which supports them, little more in fact than a compendium of anecdotes divorced from their original context, that's a mouthful, is rigged to arrive at predetermined conclusions, not historical revelations or insights. Now that is a mouthful, but what they're saying is that even if you believe that the military-industrial complex, whatever the military-industrial complex is, if you believe that they were involved in the JFK assassination, then you believe something that you shouldn't believe. That's what they say in some crazy book. Uh, it's not crazy to them, though, but Anti-Semitism in America, Outspoken Experts Explode the Myths, a book that only a, a Semite or an anti-Semite, I suppose, would read, not a normal human being. Needless to say, this was their in-house party line, before my book got out to the public. Then when my book got out to the public, of course, they changed their tune and decided that, well, 
or at least they told the public this, well, it's okay to believe in conspiracy theories. But God forbid you should believe in the one that, that, that Mike Piper is promoting. Now, that, that's kind of interesting. You know, I understand, I understand why they want to keep it quiet. I mean, I, if, you, if you look at it, if they did it, and I believe they did it, then they got to keep that quiet because, you know, there's a big thing here. I would say that probably any of you in here who were voting in 1960, you probably didn't vote for John F. Kennedy unless your views changed. And I know as a, as a child, I used to get involved in arguments with my father because I used to say things like, uh, well, I'm glad they shot Kennedy. I knew that would press his button and he'd get mad. Well, I'm not glad they shot John Kennedy. I'm not glad that anybody gets shot. But, uh, but that's what I used to say to my father. But the thing about it is I could have never imagined the things that I know about John F. Kennedy today to be true at one time, nor would I have ever thought that I would have written a book saying, hey, well, Kennedy wasn't such a bad guy after all. And that isn't really what I say in the book. I, I do say that John F. Kennedy cut deals with the mob. He cut deals with the Israeli lobby. Uh, you know, he cut a lot of deals to get elected president. And then when he didn't exactly follow through on his deals, particularly in the realm of his deals with Israel, he got assassinated. You're listening to researcher and author Michael Collins Piper. Today's show, The Missing Link in the JFK Assassination. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Now, where do you find the Israeli connection? Okay, first of all, let me give you the motive. And I, I, you have to read the book to get the full picture, but and I, I'm trying to break this down because it's a very complicated thing. The bottom line of it is, the bottom line motive for Israeli involvement is the fact that John F. Kennedy was trying to stop Israel from building the nuclear bomb. That was probably, according to all the sources, they're not right-wing sources, they're, you know, we have Stephen Green, who is Jewish, uh, Seymour Hersh, who is Jewish, Andrew and Leslie Coburn, they're not Jewish, but they're respected, quote-unquote, mainstream liberal journalists. They have all documented the fact that John F. Kennedy was involved in a behind-the-scenes war with Israel over Israel's attempt to build the nuclear bomb. Now, everybody knows that John F. Kennedy had his troubles with the CIA over Cuba, and everybody knows that the, that the U.S. got involved in Vietnam after John F. Kennedy's assassination. What people don't know unless they've read these rather esoteric books on U.S. Middle East policy, is that upon John F. Kennedy's assassination, U.S. policy towards Israel did a complete 180-degree turnaround. And as Stephen Green puts it, it essentially made Israel the 51st state. Now, that's all well and good. That's all documented in the book. But just because that happened doesn't mean that there's an Israeli connection to the assassination. I realize that. Uh, and my book does not... My book does not provide any, how should I put this? My book doesn't provide any smoking gun. My book doesn't provide any evidence that could bring an indictment against anybody. But what it does do, it assembles as much evidence, as much detail, as much, probably more so, information about the conspiracy, the, 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 the depth and breadth of the conspiracy as any other book on the subject. And that, as I say, is probably its strong point, and that is where the actual Israeli connection comes in in the assassination conspiracy. Now, much of my 
thesis is based around the role of Clay Shaw. Now, if you saw the movie JFK, you know who Clay Shaw was. I'm going to dissect the Clay Shaw connection here because it is important. But I do want to I do want to digress for a moment and say this because it's important to emphasize it that Clay Shaw, if Clay Shaw had never existed, if he had never been alive, my thesis would still stand. But the fact is that Clay Shaw did live. And if you look at the Clay Shaw connection, you do see very clearly the, the Mossad connection. And I do believe Jim Garrison was right. I do believe that Clay Shaw was connected in some way to the conspiracy. I don't necessarily believe that Clay Shaw knew that John F. Kennedy was going to be assassinated any more than Lee Harvey Oswald did. But I do believe that Clay Shaw was involved in some way with the elements that were involved in the actual mechanics of the conspiracy and the planning of the conspiracy. And that as a consequence of that, that's how... Jim Garrison, as District Attorney of New Orleans, came up with his name. And uh, maybe when Clay Shaw said, uh, you know, when he, when he proclaimed his innocence, maybe he truly believed he was innocent. But there were a lot of people who were linked in some way to the JFK assassination who, uh, because they happened to be in a certain place at a certain time, people always say, aha, that's the proof. Now, I mentioned earlier today at, at a meeting uh, where I spoke that uh, for years I've been reading that that the proof that Richard Nixon was involved in the JFK assassination conspiracy, what, that's, I put the word proof in quotes, was that Nixon was in Dallas the day Kennedy was killed. Well, there were a lot of people in Dallas the day Kennedy was killed. Well, guess who I just found out a few days ago was in Dallas the day Kennedy was killed? Yitzhak Rabin, the future prime minister of Israel. Now, like I say, that's an interesting little detail. It doesn't prove that he was involved in the conspiracy. It doesn't prove that the Israelis were involved in the conspiracy. But it's a detail that nobody knows about. Whereas everybody knows about the Richard Nixon thing. It's easy. This is the kind of thing, what I, what I constantly tell people is that the basic stories you get about the JFK assassination conspiracy, uh, they give you part of the picture. You don't get the full picture. You know, you're looking, or they tell you to look over here when, in fact, you should be looking over here. And in the new edition of my book, I put together a couple charts that I think, and I, I'm, I'm going to try to use this blackboard here, and I hope I don't see, there's an eraser. I'm glad you have it here because I, I think maybe I can, I can explain my theory best by giving you a few little drawings, and I can draw fairly well, so this might work. I have one theory, which I call the Mossad box theory. See this box? This pretty box right here. That's the Mossad connection to the JFK conspiracy. My box, you can easily fit the CIA did it theory in there. You can put the theory that the mafia did it. You can put the French connection in there. And believe it or not, you can even put the right-wingers in there. And I'll explain that in a minute because that's a very interesting story. All of these things taken together can be put together and put in this Mossad box. And they all fit in there very snugly and together, and they don't contradict one another. But the one thing that they all have in common which ties them together is the Israeli connection. Now, I know everybody here is worried about the right-wing connection to the Kennedy assassination. You're thinking, hmm, 
I wonder if I know anybody who was involved. <laughs> well, now, everybody saw Ed Asner play Guy Bannister. Well, now, every time I read about Guy Bannister being, when these liberals write these books about the JFK assassination, they say, aha, it had to be a right-wing conspiracy because Guy Bannister was involved. And he probably was. Guy Bannister was former FBI. He was mixed up with the CIA. He was mixed up with everybody. He's mixed up with some right-wingers in New Orleans. I hate to mention this name, but you know, you know who two of his good friends were in New Orleans? Husband and wife team. Kent and Phoebe Courtney. I think she's still alive. Well, I'll tell you this much about Kent and Phoebe Courtney. For years, a lot of people in what you might call the hard right, frankly, thought that Kent and Phoebe Courtney were tied up with the Anti-Defamation League. Because I do know this much, that even if they weren't on the payroll of the ADL, for years they did a lot of things to frustrate the work of people that the ADL didn't like. So if Guy Bannister was a right-winger, he was a Kent Courtney, a Kent and Phoebe Courtney kind of right-winger. He wasn't our kind of right-winger, so to speak. Guy Bannister also had another interesting contact in New Orleans. And this guy was a right-winger, very, very anti-communist. And his name was B, that was his nickname, B. Botnik. You know who this right-winger was? He headed the ADL office in New Orleans. Now, poor old Steve Frog was quoted in the Los Angeles Times as saying he thought that the ADL was behind the Kennedy assassination. That isn't what Steve Frog said. What Steve Frog, in an interview with the Los Angeles Times, pointed out was that the New Orleans office of the ADL, which was headed by B. Botnick, that was his nickname, had one particular specialty at that time, spying on left-wing civil rights groups. And guess what? That's what Guy Bannister liked to do. And guess what? That's what Kent and Phoebe Courtney, Guy Bannister's good friends, liked to do. And guess what? Spying on left-wing groups is what Lee Harvey Oswald was doing when he was running around in New Orleans, setting up his own left-wing group. So, is it a conspiracy theory? It's a theory. This, I admit, is a theory. It's speculation. But I wouldn't be a bit surprised if when poor old Lee Harvey Oswald was running around down in New Orleans prior to the Kennedy assassination, he thought he was spying on left-wing groups for Guy Bannister. And Guy Bannister had a detective agency that did contract work for B. Botnick of the ADL. Now, this is just a theory, mind you. But, bottom line of it is, if there were right-wingers like Guy Bannister and Kent and Phoebe Courtney, I don't think they were involved in the conspiracy. I'm not even sure he was involved in the conspiracy either. But they were associated with Oswald. The bottom line of it is, if the right wing, quote unquote, was involved in the JFK assassination, the right wingers who were involved were hooked up to this group right here. So that's just a little detail that I know when it's published in detail in my book, the fourth edition of the book, 
there's going to be a lot of people who are very upset. And they're going to be these left-wingers who've been promoting this theory for the right wing, that the right wing was behind it, because the right-wingers are all connected. with Israel, and that's very simple. That's kind of scary. That's one little model of this. You're listening to researcher and author Michael Collins Piper. Today's show, The Missing Link in the JFK Assassination. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Now let's get down to the real model, which really ties it all together, and it shows you how, it shows you how very simple my book is. A lot of people paint these conspiracies about the JFK assassination that are remarkably complex. And it's like you have, you have all sorts of people tripping over one another, plotting to kill JFK. I don't think that was, I don't think that was a big conspiracy at all. I keep saying this because I, I really think it's very simple and yet very profound. The people were, who, who were involved in the conspiracy, they weren't one big happy family. They were one small happy family. And as I document in the book, it really took only a handful of people to set the conspiracy in motion. Now, let me show you this Clay Shaw connection. I've kind of been going around it because those of you who are familiar with JFK know the basic theory about that Jim Garrison presented. Clay Shaw was a businessman. Let me refer to my notes here because I have a chart. This chart took me literally years to make because I worked just because it, well, it finally came to me one afternoon, and I'm, gl- I'm glad it did, because I think it really ties it all together. And it is in the new edition of the book, so you're getting a real good preview here. Here's Clay Shaw, the New Orleans businessman, who was indicted by Jim Garrison. Now, Shaw was connected with Guy Bannister, who I mentioned earlier, who in turn, of course, is connected with the ADL. There was also a gentleman named David Ferry. He was played by Joe Pesci in the movie. And of course, you get down here to the lower level people. This chart, I'm not gonna give you the whole thing because I don't want everybody to be confused. This is Lee Harvey Oswald. Here's those Cuban exiles we keep hearing about. Okay, then you have the mafia. Everybody hears about the mafia and Carlos Marcello. And you have the CIA, and of course the CIA, they were involved too, just as, of course you can connect. Is anybody getting confused by this so far? Are you all able to follow along? I'll pass this chart out in, so you can see it in detail, but I want to explain it up here first. Here's the CIA. This is what, what this picture right here, I would call this the New Orleans Nexus. This is the standard basic conspiracy theory on a JFK assassination. Well, you had some mafia elements. You had some CIA elements. They were connected. And they were all connected to the Cubans. And Oswald was connected. And then there was Clay Shaw, who was connected to the CIA, and Bannister and Ferry and the mafia. This is the part that they leave out. It's very simple. But this is why they have to leave it out. Clay Shaw, Guy Bannister, and David Ferry were all jointly connected in their own fashion, but working together with a company based in Europe. I love this name. It's a great name. I wish I had thought of it myself. Called Permandex. 
Now, this company existed. This isn't a mythical company. Now, in the movie uh, JFK, uh, you see the character playing uh, Jim Garrison confront Clay Shaw and say, well, you served in the board of a CIA front company called Permandex, and Clay Shaw says, oh, I would, I'm going to sue. That's not true. Well, here's what Oliver Stone doesn't tell you about Permandex. The primary force behind Permandex was a guy named Tiber Rosenbaum. He headed the International Credit Bank of Geneva, Switzerland. The International Credit Bank of Geneva, Switzerland was the chief European money laundering operation for Meyer Lansky, which, of course, he was the real boss of the mob. We call it the mafia because that's a good way to frame it on the Italian-Americans. But Meyer Lansky, Meyer Lansky ran organized crime. Meyer Lansky's buddy was Tyler Meyer Lansky. Louis Bloomfield was also a prime mover behind the Israeli lobby in Canada. So now here's the kicker for all this. When some of these quote-unquote liberal JFK assassination researchers go so far as to even mention Permandex, and maybe they'll mention Meyer Lansky, and maybe even mention Louis Bloomfield, the one thing they forget to mention is the Israeli connection. Now, if you can believe this, there's even one guy who gets into Permandex, and he says that Permandex was a Nazi front. Now, if Permandex, okay, now, if, let's just say he's right. Now, I can't say he's right. If Permandex is a Nazi front, then what's Tiber Rosenbaum and Louis Bloomfield and the Brockman family, who are very anti-Nazi from what I've heard lately, why are they associated with Permandex? Now, I still haven't really mentioned Israel because here's the, here's, here's the icing on the cake. This guy, Tibor Rosenbaum, and this is all documented in the book. It's taken from mainstream sources. Tiber Rosenbaum was one of the highest-ranking, long-standing money launders and arms procurement officers for, guess what, the Mossad. He is the Mossad. In fact, I don't even need to add another box there. I could add another box there. But one of Israel's newspapers, when Tiber Rosenbaum got in trouble a few years ago, they said Tiber Rosenbaum is Israel. So without getting into the name, we'll just say here's a Mossad right here. And Permandex is a Mossad money laundering operation. And Clay Shaw is connected to it, and Guy Bannister is connected to it, and David Ferry is connected to it. And guess who's connected with them? So I don't think Lee Harvey Oswald was involved in the. I don't think he shot John F. Kennedy. But if he did shoot John F. Kennedy, a real detective would say, well, let's see, he's mixed up with Clay Shaw, well, and, and he was working for Clay Shaw. So. Well, who's Clay Shaw mixed up with? Well, this is the thing. You're not allowed to mention any of this. My book mentions all that. And I'm sorry if that upsets people. But if they did it, they did it. And if I'm wrong, all I ask is that somebody come and prove me wrong. One way to prove me wrong is for to have let me speak 
And let me pass this out. You can take a look at it close up. Please pass it around. Let's start over here. That's the chart that I've been showing up here. I'll give you a better idea. If if someone wants to prove me wrong, they should have let me come down there to that forum at, at Saddleback College and let me speak because there was a guy there who claims that uh, the Nazis, there was a guy who was supposed to speak who claims that the Nazis did it. Well, I would think that the ADL would want to prove the Nazis did it. So they should have let me talk and just, you know, show me where I'm wrong. That's all I've been asking. You know, if I'm wrong, I want to know where I'm wrong. I've had a couple errors that I found in the book myself. Uh, one other error was brought to me, and one, one of the errors was I said that somebody was held in a prison in Morocco when it was really in Algeria or vice versa. Well, I, cor I connect corrected that. I said that somebody who knew Lee Oswald, it turned out he didn't know Lee Oswald. I said that one guy had been shot dead when in fact he died in his bed. And I, there's something else. So that's the gist of what the errors have been in my book. There, As I say, I found most of them myself. And the one error that I did find was based on a, a book written by a former FBI agent. Uh, so it was his error, not mine. So the thing is, no one has been able to come forth and show precisely where I'm wrong. I mean, that's all I asked for. I mean, you know, I thought that I was going to write this, write this book. I'd get a certain amount of publicity in the spotlight. Then I get this invitation to come and speak down in Orange County. Little did I know that... Uh, <laughs> Little, I, I didn't. I didn't create that problem for Orange County. I wasn't the one who called up the press. I wasn't the one who was able to generate press reports all over the country. It was the ADL. You know, and I do actually have them to thank for that because I have my own little way of thanking uh, the ADL for that. I wish. Uh, I hope there's somebody from the ADL here because. Uh, yeah, uh, I want them to see that uh, in a new edition of the book, uh, put a lot of good pictures in. Some very interesting pictures. And one of those is, for some reason I don't have it, <laughs> is a picture of Marsha Milchicker. Uh, she's the member of the uh, Board of Advisors, the Board of Trustees down there, who's played a major part in this. Uh, she is also on the uh, local board of the Anti-Defamation League. I, if for some reason I don't have that page out. I must have handed out to gloat on it. I do see Oliver Stone's picture here. You're listening to researcher and author Michael Collins Piper. Today's show, The Missing Link in the JFK Assassination. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Now, i got to mention Oliver Stone. Oliver Stone uh, went and made a very good movie. I thought, the, you know, great movie. I'm going to trip here in a moment. Made a great movie. He told a lot of things about the JFK conspiracy. There's one thing you got to keep in mind, though, about Oliver Stone. To get that movie made, he had to have some money. Now, when you're going to make them, that's why you have things that are called producers. Now, everybody thinks that Oliver Stone was the producer of the film JFK. Actually, he was, I don't even know what he did. I think he wrote the script. He may have directed it. Uh, I'm not even sure he was even the director. Anyway. You're all Hollywood and California people out here, so you guys know what producers are. Here's the name of the man who put up the money for Oliver Stone's film. And he puts up the money for a lot of good movies. I just saw a couple of his movies the other day on video. Now, that's not Michael Milken. That's Arnon Milken. 
Now, has anyone ever here, unless you, other than those who've read the book, has anyone here know who Arne and Milken is? I heard somebody say he was a Jew. Yeah, I believe he is. And the reason why I believe he probably is is because according to Alexander Coburn, writing in The Nation magazine, and as you know, The Nation is not a right-wing extremist publication, Arden Milken, the man who financed JFK, is quote-unquote, I love writing this stuff down, Israel's biggest arms dealer. That's a fact, my friends. This is the man who financed the final judgment, so to speak, by the major media on the JFK assassination. Israel's biggest arms dealer. And get a load of this. Guess what one of Arnon Milken's side dabblings is? Oh, of course, he's a movie producer and Israel's biggest arms dealer. And he was also intimately involved in Israel's nuclear arms development. And as I think I mentioned to you earlier, it was Israel's nuclear arms development that was kind of the sticking point between John F. Kennedy and Israel. So I think you understand why Oliver Stone, with Arnon Milken's money, coming from Israel's arms dealing, <laughs> and also connected to Israel's nuclear development, would probably not want to get in to the Israeli connection. I think. I, I mean, maybe I'm. Maybe I. Maybe I'm. A, maybe I am a conspiracy theorist. I don't know. But like I say, these are just little facts. These are little facts, and I want people to look at them. I want people to see a pattern. It seems like everywhere I turned around when I was researching the Kennedy assassination. I kept finding these Israeli connections. I'll tell you the one that really entertains me because it's the one that I found literally the day before the book was supposed to go to print. Now, I would not put the burden of writing a book and seeing it through to publication upon any nice person because it's a lot of work. And when you... <laughs> Bruss knows. I know that. When you have a manuscript in your hands, you know, and you've got it all typeset and everything, you know, and you're ready to roll with it, you know, you want it to be done. Well, the day before Final Judgment was to go to press, I saw something and I said, oh my God, I got to put this in the book. I have to put it in the book. Maybe you won't find this as significant as I do, but that, to me at the time it was very significant and, I, and it still is. When Jim Garrison... And I found this detail. I found this detail right before the book was supposed to go to press. There's one thing, bear with me. When Jim Garrison started investigating the JFK assassination, he knew nothing about Clay Shaw. He, he saw that, if those of you who saw the movie know that it was a process, a long process for him before Clay Shaw's name or figured out who Clay Shaw was. Well, before he'd gotten to Clay Shaw, before he had any inkling of who Clay Shaw was, he got a visit from a wealthy businessman named John King. Now, John King has been written about, and this has been written about in books about Garrison by liberals who like what Garrison did. And they say, oh, John King, who was connected to Richard Nixon and connected to the Republican Party, came to visit Jim Garrison and tried to frustrate his investigation. That's a fact. King came down there and said, Mr. Garrison, 
you're very close. And there's a lot of people who would prefer that you would stop this investigation. We would appreciate it if you would, please, Mr. Garrison. He offered him a judgeship. Jim Garrison said, see the door. Now, like I say, all our liberal friends who are so determined to find out who killed John F. Kennedy, so determined that they don't want to look at anything I have to say, um, they keep saying John King was this Republican conservative. He probably was. Maybe he was a Republican. Maybe he did know Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon knew a lot of people. But you know what's even more significant? Here's John King. He's American. You know who John King's business partner was? I hate to tell you this. I really hate to tell you this. Bernie Kornfeld of iOS. You, you, I hear a lot of laughing. They know who Bernie, a lot of people know who Bernie Kornfeld is. But see, here's the thing about Bernie Kornfeld. Oh, yes, he's Jewish, yeah, he's Jewish. But, but, but Bernie Kornfeld, I'm sorry, what? Well, you're getting closer. Bernie, Bernie Kornfeld. Yeah, they got him for stocks, Rob. Bernie Kornfeld, at the same time, was Tybor Rosenbaum's front man. Kornfeld's operation, IOS, was basically a subsidiary of, guess what? Permandex. And this is before Clay Shaw's name had ever been brought up. So Tiber Rosenbaum's man, Bernie Kornfeld, sent his business partner, John King, to see Jim Garrison. Well, the thing is, I'd heard about John King for years, but the day before the book was supposed to go to press, I just happened to be looking through an old newsletter, actually published by Willis Cardo, my boss, published back in the early 1970s. And he just happened, to, he didn't write it himself, but one of his reporters happened to mention the connection between John King and Bernie Kornfeld and Tiber Rosenbaum. So my point of telling you that story is that I only discovered that the day before the book went to press. So I had to change a page in the book and put it in there. But it's little details like that, that in, in, in seemingly the most insignificant places, keep pointing to an Israeli connection, or maybe I should say the Israeli connection. Um, I've only, <laughs> I've talked for quite a while here, and I've, I've really, I could go on and on. I, I've touched on, I've, I think probably, if, if none of you ever read my book, I think I probably laid a few things out here that will make you think, that give you a new perspective on the whole thing. Um, I'll be looking forward to any questions you might have. I will close with something which is totally unrelated, but I, I uh, took some pictures here in Washington the other day of something that I guess it is related. Uh, and, I, and I thought, well, I'm going to have to get this picture at large because I knew I was coming here to Joe's meeting. And uh, I thought, this is just, it looks like a placemat because I, I had it laminated. But this really says a lot about where the power and the influence is in Washington, D.C. It's Union Station. It's our beautiful train station in Washington. For the last week, they had a 50th anniversary celebration of the state of Israel. That's in Union Station of Washington, not Union Station in Tel Aviv. And you'll see here this picture of the facade of Union Station. You see the American flag hanging here, and you see the Israeli flag hanging here. Note they're both hung at the same level, and uh, 
both the same size, and you know, it's really hard to tell whether you're in Washington or Tel Aviv. But I want you to all look at that picture very, very carefully because, as I say, pass it around if you would, it really says a lot about where the power is in this country today. That's what I'm up against. And that's why my book is so dangerous. Even if I'm wrong, and I don't think that I am, even if I'm wrong, they're afraid that a lot of people are going to believe that I'm right. And uh, they also know that I'm not going to back down. They also know that they can't shut me up. There's only several ways they can shut me up, and it would all involve uh, violence. I don't think that that's going to happen because, unfortunately, um, they don't always act as we expect them to. But nonetheless, uh, that's why I came out here, because I'm going down there to that Board of Trustees meeting, and I am going to say a few words. If I have three minutes to speak, or if I have 30 minutes to speak, and I've already, they are already aware of the fact that there's a lot of people who do support me, or at least who believe that there is such a thing as freedom of speech in this country, who are going to be there, who've been notified. I told this reporter for the Los Angeles Times that I had mailed invitations to 5,000 people. And I want to tell you something. That's probably the first time I ever heard a reporter gulp through the phone. <laughs> because he thought I was just planning to come out there, you know, and waltz in and say, hi, I'm Mike Piper. For some reason, the Los Angeles Times had not yet found out that I had sent this mailing out. So all of a sudden they realized that there are voters, people who vote in Orange County. I don't know if votes really count anymore, but, you know, a lot of people have that perception that they do. All of a sudden, they realize that there are voters from Orange County who have families and family members who vote who are going to be there seeing what they do. Now, they've known before, Joe and some of the other guys are down there, but hearing that figure, 5,000, they don't think 5,000 people are going to show up. But, you know, politicians do kind of tread lightly when the voters speak. Sometimes it doesn't always seem that way. But all they've been hearing is from the ADL. Now they get to hear personally from me and hopefully from you and hopefully from all of us together. So if you can make it down there, I hope you will be down there. And, uh, and it's really, it's not for me. And it's not for my book. It is for the First Amendment. It is for freedom of speech. And it is for America. And that's what they really don't like. So uh, thank you for coming here tonight. Thanks to Joe and Dee. Thank you for your patience. I hope my uh, charts didn't confuse you. I hope they, they enlightened you. And uh, I'll be glad to answer any questions during our question and answer session. You've been listening to the late Michael Collins Piper. Today's show has been The Missing Link in the JFK Assassination. Michael Collins Piper was a prolific author, researcher, and journalist. He wrote articles for the American Free Press since its inception in 2001. Prior to that, he wrote for the Spotlight for over 20 years. He is the author of many books, including his most famous, Final Judgment, The Missing Link in the JFK Assassination Conspiracy, The Judas Goats, The Enemy Within, the New Babylon, Those Who Reign Supreme, The Golem, A World Held Hostage, The High Priests of War, Target Trafficant, The Untold Story, Dirty Secrets, 
crime, conspiracy, and cover-up during the 20th century, among many others. Michael Collins Piper died in May 2015 from heart problems after his house burned down. Visit MikePiperReport.com. That's Mike, P-I-P-E-R, Report.com and AmericanFreePress.com. Guns and Butter is produced by Bonnie Faulkner, Yaromako, and Tony Rango. Visit us at GunsAndButter.org to listen to past programs, comment on shows, or join our email list to receive our newsletter that includes recent shows and updates. Email us at Faulkner at GunsAndButter.org. Follow us on Twitter at GNB Radio. Peace.